Hey, if you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 5, one verse today, verse 6. Um, as you're turning there, a couple other things. Hey, I, I think I, we should have a picture of a new little part of our community. Um, Asher Roy Sitton was born on September 27, 2023 uh, to uh, Ryan and Megan. And how fun is this? So that's Layla behind Asher, which, dang it, have you ever been that happy in your life? Uh, she is three, and they share a birthday. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, right? Now, we, let's pray that continues. Like they said, they go, well, we love having the same birthday. And at another point, they go, I don't want you to share the same birthday. So I'm praying. We're praying. But man, look at that little, oh, when I saw that picture, I was like, can I please, can I please show that one? Can I please? I think they said yes. No, they said yes. And so I wanted to introduce you to a little part of our family now. Um, and then I also wanted to introduce you to, um, remember a few weeks ago we talked about home church? Um, and I said, man, you can start a home church anywhere. And so there's this couple that I met back in, um, well, I was speaking at Hume, New England, back there in Massachusetts. And uh, the woman, Christina, uh, she was part of the volunteer team of a church that came up in, for a winter camp in 2018. And then there was this thing called COVID. Remember that? That it shut down everything for a while. So I, I didn't go back there until this past winter. And so I wasn't there the same week, uh, weekend as she was, but then she heard I was coming. So she brought her, her husband, Mike, and then their kids, and they came for one of the messages. And so they were listening. She listens. She tunes into the, to our Sunday mornings uh, on Monday. She listens to the message. And she said, can I start a home church? And I was like, No. I'm so just, of course you can. Like, I'm thinking, man, we're going global. <laughs> so when she said, hey, can I start a home church? I said, of course you can, uh, because all our home church stuff is online. So uh, starting this coming Saturday, I think it's either Friday or Saturday. I think it's Saturday. Um, we're going to have a home church that meets in Connecticut. That's where they're from. Um, that they're going to meet every week. They're going to go through the same stuff that we're going through in the book of Matthew. Um, they're going to start at the beginning with the Beatitudes. So they're going to be a few weeks behind um, but I just wanted to let you know, man, God is just, it's, it's awesome that it's weird how when you meet people, then all of a sudden it's like, can we connect with what you're doing? And they have a, they have a church home back there, um, but they just said, we want to be part of the study and the teaching, and, and so we want to create a community that's around that. So I just want to welcome them whenever they're listening or watching this, welcome them to our home church uh, network thing that we're doing, um, but it's just so rad. I just thought, praise the Lord that he's, he's taking this and moving this out. And Krista, thank you. Krista's right here. She's the one who writes all the studies every week. Like, I don't do it because I, I just prep my message, but, but Krista's the one who, who types out and does all the study and prep for us for your, uh, for your Bible studies on, uh, during your home church. So, guys, it's just rad. It's so rad to see the whole community coming together and impacting people we never thought that we would. So praise the Lord. Hey, we're going to jump in, like I said. Let's pray, um, and then we'll jump in. Jesus, we give you thanks for this morning. What a fun time so far it has been to praise you, to laugh together, to be together. And now I pray, God, that you would speak to us and teach us as only you can, that you would, that you would convict us and encourage whatever is necessary to make us look like Jesus. And would you teach us what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness? What does this mean? God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says amen. So just real quick, who has... Uh, your favorite childhood cereal, remember? Yeah, I'm not gonna tell anybody, just tell me. So someone tell me what yours, not like the old person stuff now, I'm talking back in the good days. Lucky Charms, Who's, who says the Lucky Charms was yours? A few of you. This, and remember, this is during the days when you didn't, look at the, you didn't look to see what was in the cereal. 
You just said, how much sugar is it? Doesn't matter when you're six. Like it's supposed to be there. How, who, okay, so Lucky Charms, that's it. Anybody else have another one? Frosted Flakes, that's the natural go-to. Here's the thing though, I saw at Sam's Club, strawberry milkshake Frosted Flakes. Look at the rebellion, no. That is almost a sin, right? I thought it sounded kind of good, but I'm not allowed to have it anymore. Okay, uh, yeah. Say it again. Smurf Berry Crunch. You brought the Smurfs into a church service, Brenda. There are many people who frown upon that. <laughs> Smurf, I haven't, okay, in all the years I've asked this question, you sit and go, how often do you ask it? It's, it's a crowd breaker. I have never once had someone say, Smurf Berry Crunch. That's why there's plenty of it, because no one ever eats it. Okay, I say, what is it? Captain Crunch. There it is. There it is. Uh, I just, okay, now here's a weird one. And I don't know if, I don't know if you're going to lose respect for me. Anybody a Fruity Pebbles person, right? It's weird. It's just soggy Skittles. It's weird. But they're so good. And then you remember the day that you had to stay, I can't have this anymore. The doctor said, my triglycerides are off the charts. And you actually had to worry about your health. It's about our appetite, right? So in Isaiah chapter 50, he's like, does this have anything to do with anything? Hopefully, Isaiah chapter 55, starting verse one, says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now listen to this next question that God asks of his people, Israel. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Wow. Why do you spend your time and your money and your resources on that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Friends, I wonder how much, how much of our Christian life we've settled for the pretty good or the okay, rather than when God says, I want you to listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Like he actually wants to give us good things and great things. And so we take that passage in Isaiah 55 and we'll come back to it and we go to Matthew chapter five, verse six. And it's where Jesus, remember Jesus is starting off the most popular, most powerful sermon ever preached. And in verse six, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those, or oh, the blessedness of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so we're gonna break down a couple of the words, the word hunger and thirst. The word hunger there is that there's this metaphor which means to crave ardently or to seek with eager desire. It's the strongest Greek word for desire, of something that I want so it's not like, oh, I've got some time that maybe I'll hunger for this. No, it's this, I need, I need this. If I don't have this, I will die. Guys, I feel like in our society, in our culture, we don't quite understand this because then when you, when you look at how, at least when Jesus was speaking this, the average person or the average worker lived on one denarius a day, which is about five cents per day in our economy today. Every day, going to work, laboring, you've made five cents. For us, it's normal. We can have meat pretty much every meal if we wanted to. But for them, it was kind of maybe a once a week thing. 
It's the understanding hunger. So everyone, as Jesus is speaking to this, group, this massive group of people, there are so many there that understand when he says, hey, blessed are those who hunger because they got it. That many people are there, many people are there, maybe they eat once a day, maybe twice, never knowing, okay, the next day, is it this, am I gonna have something, am I gonna have something that I can eat or provide for my family? That they understood hunger. And this idea of thirst, when you look up the word, it means to desire strongly. Those who have painful, they have this painful feel of something that they want. And so when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger, it's not like, I skipped lunch. Man, I've got a snack. I'm kind of hungry. No, this is, I can't make it unless I have this. Well, I didn't bring a water bottle with me before I took a drive, so we stopped and got some because I was thirsty. No, it's like I'm so parched that I don't know if I'm gonna make it if I don't get any water. And so when Jesus brings these words up, we need to remember that he's not saying, hey, when you've got a little extra time or you feel a little bit of hunger, then you're blessed by that. He's like, no, our desire should be, I want everything about righteousness. It's God, I don't want to just a little bit of it. In fact, the way that it's worded in the original language, it's not like, hey, give me a part of something to eat. The way that this Greek word is, the way that this Greek word is written and this sentence is written, the Bible's not saying, hey, if you want a little bit of it, you'll be fine. So when somebody says, hey, let's go to dinner. Oh, okay, I'll go to dinner. Then I order something I don't, and it comes to my table. I don't sit there and go, I'm just gonna eat a small little part of it. My goal is to devour the whole thing especially if it's one of my favorite places. And if it's not, still go after it. Get the whole thing, just go for it. But it's like, I want the whole thing. And I wonder how much, how many of us have accepted, just give me enough of Jesus that I can get some good things from him. See, I can continue my life and my lifestyle. Just give me enough Jesus and I'll be fine. And yet Jesus, in this, in this statement, he's not saying, just have a little bit of me and you'll be blessed. He's like, you should hunger for righteousness. You should want all of it. You should thirst for all of it. Not just part of it, not be satisfied by that. And so it's kind of like this statement, is, if we reword it, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the whole righteousness, for the complete righteousness that God provides. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn there in Psalms chapter 63, verse 1. It says this, as the psalmist writes it, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Can I ask you a question? Is that a description of you? Is it a description of me? I mean, look at it again. Oh God, you are my God. I would, I would sit there and go, most would say, yep, that's true. I believe that. Oh God, he is my God. That, guys, that's an easy statement. But when you start reading the rest, earnestly I seek you. So when he played hide and seek back in the day, except if you're a young one in here, keep going. Don't ever stop. It actually gets more fun the older you are, but not when you're too old. Remember when I was playing, I remember, for those who remember this, I played capture the flag when I was helping with the youth back in a little, about a year ago or so. Capture the flag, guys, all I did was turn. That's all I did. I, I turned because I was gonna run away from, I remember I, I outran you on, I outran both of you. But not this time, but before that I did, but not this time. All I did was turn, was it Kira, were you chasing? I turned and I felt my calf go boop. And then I'm like, what? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is it, this is, Life is over, it's done. 
So there's a limit, I get that, but the older you get, the better it gets when you're a teenager. Like when you play hide and seek as a teenager, it's awesome. Unless you're it every time. You ever, were you ever it more than twice and realized I suck at life? Like I'm horrible. The insecure people, you feel me, you know what you're talking There's always this pressure, even if you have to chase down grandma. It's like there she's just tag her, you're it grandma, ha ha ha. But you don't wanna be it four times because you might as well just retire. But you seek with a purpose. It's like whatever it takes, I'm gonna find that person. And when we sit here and go, hey, I'm gonna seek God when I've got some time. Is that what it is? Because I read, I read this, when, when David is sitting there going, earnestly I seek you with everything in me, I'm seeking after you. This is how much I want you, not just need you, but this is how much I want you. My, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Does that describe you? Does this describe me? Or is Jesus a nice addition? It's a nice cultural thing. I mean, I don't want Jesus every day, right? That's too much. I don't want him in every decision. That's too much. Let me give him one day a week. I'll sit in a service. I'll sit in a service with some uncomfortable chairs and I'll listen to you talk for too long and then we can get out of there and we can get, get, we can get to lunch because that's the biggest decision of every Sunday. Where are we going to eat? So I'll give him one day a week. Friends, for those that you've lived like that or are living like that, you're missing out on the blessedness that Jesus promises to those who hunger and thirst for him. And that word righteousness, for righteous, what's, it, what's meant by the word righteous? I think there's three parts. As I was reading commentaries, a, an, an, a commentary or a scholar from back in the day, John Stott. Some of you guys may have, may have heard of John Stott. He said there's three parts to this understanding of righteousness. The first is this legal righteousness. He said, I go, what's that mean? So legal righteousness, our standing before God. Followers of Jesus, as a reminder to you, there was a point, there was a point in your time, in your life, where you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus. Friends, we are not born physically into the family of God. It is not, hey, my family's always been Christian, and therefore I've always been Christian. Guys, in the conversations I've had over the years and working with students and young adults and now everybody, when I hear a statement like this, I've always been a Christian. I always pull back a second and go, how did that happen? Because there has to be a confession of faith to confess the Lordship of Jesus, to believe that he died and came back from the dead. There has to be a calling out to him that he would save me as I surrender and submit myself to his lordship and enter into following him as a disciple. There has to be a decision for that. I may have been brought up in the church, I may have been brought up in a Christian family, but I have to make the decision. So when I did, when I surrendered, when I gave all in for Jesus. When I was at summer camp, 17 years old, up at Hume Lake, and I said, okay, I heard the message, and I knew God was calling, I was like, I gotta surrender everything. God, I understand that I'm a sinner before you. I can't save myself. I wanna repent. I wanna give everything I have to you. Whatever you want, God, whatever, I'm in. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. And in that moment, according to the scriptures, 
The Holy Spirit of God came into me just like he came into every single person who is here who's a follower of Christ. When you made that decision to surrender to him, the Holy Spirit of God came into you to lead, to guide, to counsel, to convict, to encourage, and to help you and to help me. But in that moment, my identity shifted from sinner to saint, from sinner to child of God. Because I recognized my own sinfulness before a holy God. And in that moment, I heard his call. He, hey, come to me, come to me. And his grace and mercy was lavished upon me, just like it was upon you. And in that moment when I surrendered to Jesus, he, he imputed his righteousness, which pretty much means this. I couldn't be righteous before God on my own. I can't do enough good things to be right before God on my own. And so Jesus took his righteousness and covered me, imputed it upon me, and took my sin. Guys, that's why it's from grace to grace, by faith, all the way to faith. It's all about him. It's what he did. And because of that, because, because Christ's righteousness has been imputed to me, just like those of you who call yourselves followers of Jesus has been imputed to you, the Father sees you and sees me as, as if we were as righteous as Christ. You've been justified. This is righteousness. And so when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, this right standing before God. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for what you did, and thank you for what you continue to do. Thank you for your constant presence with me, even if I don't feel it every day, but Holy Spirit, would you make me aware of the fact that you're with me and in me? That's what he did. Why would he do it? Because we're that great? No, because he's that great, and he thinks we're worth it. So you have this idea of legal righteousness. There's also this idea of moral righteousness. In other words, because I'm in right standing with God, therefore I will live rightly. I will live based upon what the scriptures teach is what's right, and I will stay away from what's wrong. What God says, sin, what God says is sin, I will see as sin. What God sees as righteous living, I will move toward that. But what if my desires go against what it is that God says is right or wrong. If it's wrong, I push against those things. Are we perfect? Am I perfect at it? Nope, still in the process of sanctification. It's still a process. Guys, let me encourage those of you where you just feel like, I just feel like I'm getting beat up. Like I have this desire to do what's right, but I don't always carry it out. I wanna do what God wants, but man, there is this battle going on inside. Like I really want these things that go against what God says, so what do I do? Let me encourage you with what Paul says. We always go back to scripture. Always go back to what the Bible says. Can I encourage you with this? If you feel like there's a battle going inside of you, because there is. I mean, Galatians 5 talks about there's, these, there's like these two natures, like our flesh and the spirit are at battle against one another. But listen to Paul. It's like we get to look at a little bit of his, of his journal here in Romans chapter seven. I'm sorry, Gary, I didn't put it on my notes. It just came to me. Uh, start in verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Listen, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Show of hands, anybody been there? This week? We struggle with this. He goes on. 
Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. This is Paul. This is like Jesus Jr. Saying, I struggle. I mean, I have the desire to do what's right, but man, I'm struggling carrying it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Man, that's a tongue twister. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And doesn't it just seem like it's hopeless? It's like, oh my gosh, okay, this is the struggle he's going through. Man, I can relate. This is the struggle I'm going through. So is it just hopeless? We're just lost? If you jump down to verse 24, it says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he gives the answer. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, that's a beautiful thing, right? And because of that, you go to chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Friends, that doesn't give us license to continue to sin because we like it. Friends, it's the invitation to constantly confess our sins before God, to repent from our sin, and to come back into intimacy with our creator. But we will live our lives in a manner that is worthy of him because we want to worship him with what we say, do, and think, and not just on a Sunday when we raise some hands and sing some songs. It's in everything. Every thought should be, every thought should be in submission. Every thought should be worshiped to God. Every word that comes out of my mouth should be in worship of God. The way that I treat other people should be in worship of God. This thought popped in my head as I was driving here this morning. If God treated me like I treat other people, man, would I ever get to know him? I mean, just think about it. Jesus came while we were enemies of the cross, while we were enemies of God. He came for us. And yet we find ourselves justified in how we speak to other people. It's like, well, I know the truth. You better step up. You don't agree with me. I'll just argue it into you. Or I'll ignore you. I've done my part. Forget that. Can you imagine if Jesus did that with me? I'll ignore you. I've tried. Forget it. You're going to show me attitude? Forget it. You're going to talk trash behind my back? Forget it. Can you imagine if Jesus treated us the way that we can treat other people. Man, that's humbling. I thought, man, God, please don't let me do, don't let me treat people like I treat people. Because I wanna live righteously, I wanna live in a way that brings honor to you by how I treat people who are made in your image. I wanna do that. Because you showed me grace and mercy, I wanna extend grace and mercy. I don't deserve it. Oh, I want to show that to others. God, would you help me to live righteously before God? It's not just do some religious things and have a tradition. It's to actually engage in what it is that God called us to in moral living. So you have legal righteousness, you have moral righteousness, and then we have social righteousness. And I know that for some, this is where it gets a little bit tricky, like, oh, social justice. You know what that means? I said, well, let's go to biblical justice, but the way that we live biblically will impact our society. So let's hold on for just a second. Let's jump into Isaiah chapter 35. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Isaiah chapter 35, verses five and six. Thirty-five, five and six. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, 
and the ears of the death unstopped. Then shall the lame men, I'm sorry, then shall the lame men leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Guys, you know who fulfilled this? Jesus did all these things when he showed up. Guys, he could have just shown up and preached and just talked about how you can be made right with God. But all of a sudden, someone who's blind comes up and he heals them. Someone who's deaf, he gives them their hearing back. He speaks liberty to the captive. Remember, he said, they go, oh, isn't, he, isn't he just talking about spiritual things there? John the Baptist, his own cousin, was put in jail because John the Baptist spoke truth to a pagan king. And so here's Jesus, and even when John sends his own disciples, he says, can you imagine John gets to live in the wilderness, gets to run wherever he wants to, eats, all he's eating is locusts, which sounds horrible, and honey, that's good. Locusts and honey, but he's free, and he's just declaring the things of God, and all of a sudden he finds himself in prison. And in, in Matthew chapter 11, he actually has the nerve to send his disciples and ask his disciples to look at Jesus and say, hey, John's wondering, are you really the one or should we be expecting somebody else? Friends, if all of a sudden I walked up to you, I want to say I walked up here, said, friends, I'm going through a really rough time. Is Jesus really the one? Or should I expect somebody else? How would you respond? Is Jesus really it? I mean, I was so sure. But now I found myself sitting in prison and nothing's happening the way that I thought it would. And so is he really the one or should I be expecting somebody else because it's not turning out the way that I thought it would? And what is what's Jesus' response? Go back and tell him what you see. The blind receive their sight. The deaf are hearing. The lame are walking. Friends, when you take this passage, and I think it's another one in Isaiah where it says, and the captives will go free. Jesus left that part out when he spoke to John the Baptist. He didn't quote that part. It's almost like Jesus was saying, you're not getting out. If I know something at one point and then I'm not sure of it another point, what's it called? Doubt. And you know what Jesus said as the disciples went back? He declares to everyone that's there as he's teaching them, he says of Men born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. But even the least of those in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. So he brings this teachable moment, but if he's doubting the very identity of who Jesus is, and he's doubting, I mean, he's the one who said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's so sure until this moment, now he's doubting. Jesus gave him props. He said, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. Even after he doubted, why? Because in his doubt, he went to Jesus with it. And for some, maybe, and maybe you're dragged here and like convinced you, if you come with us, we'll take you to lunch. Like what it is, maybe, maybe your doubts, it's like I have all these doubts, but my question to you is this, have you actually gone to Jesus with your doubts or have you just gone to YouTube? Like have you actually searched the book or just... Listen to the person that spends six minutes on the one verse that everyone just really struggles with, even if we do love Jesus. Like, have you, have you taken those doubts to him or have you just kept them to yourself? Because here's the thing. Guys, doubts are gonna happen. They're part of it. It's what do we do with them when they come? 
If we just sit them and use, it, use them as an excuse to do and live however we want to, then we can't blame God for the fact that he's not answering our doubts because we're not even asking him. Friends, if you're in a, if you're in a season of doubt, let me encourage you. Jesus is still good and he's still God and go to him with it. But instead of Jesus just showing up and preaching, he met the needs of people. He helped people. If you go to chapter 61 of Isaiah, chapter 61, verses one and two, the Bible says this, the spirit of the Lord, I'm sorry, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Friends, as followers of Jesus, there should be this concern that we have for the society that we live in. We should desire to see people, men and women, who are wrongly accused, we should, see, we should desire to see them liberated. We should desire to see oppression stop. We should promote and be promoters of civil rights, that people are cared for and loved and appreciated and valued simply because they're created in the image of God. There's, we should long to see justice in the courts. We should long to see that there's integrity in the businesses that we own or that we work for, that we're, 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 we're going forward and above reproach on how it is that we do business with others because we know that if they find out that we're followers of Jesus, it will have a direct impact on what they think of our Jesus. We should have homes where Jesus is honored, that our marriages are strong and solid in this attitude of service toward one another and caring for one another, putting the needs of the other person before our own, loving and raising our kids to love Jesus and serving them and training them up in the things of what the scriptures teach and pushing them or moving them or prodding them or encouraging them toward what? Righteousness. And what righteousness looks like, this moral righteousness and this legal righteousness and this, and this desire to impact society. And friends, this isn't just a new thing. That's just kind of impacted the church today. Friends, a lot of us, we love the old school guy, Martin Luther. We look and say, man, he brought some reform. Friends, these are his words, or at least John Stott says he quotes him. He says, Luther expressed this concept with his customary vigor. Quote, the command to you is not to crawl into a corner or into the desert, but to run out. If that is where you have been and to offer your hands and your feet and your whole body and to wager everything you have and can do. What is required, he goes on, is, quote, a hunger and thirst for righteousness that can never be curbed or stopped or sated. One that looks for nothing and cares for nothing except the accomplishment and maintenance of the right, despising everything that hinders this end. If you cannot make the world completely pious, then do what you can. Pious, not arrogant or proud. It's like righteous. If you, can't, if you can't change the whole world, just do your part. But even Martin Luther saying, get in the game. Impact people, your cities, your neighborhoods, the culture. Impact them with what? The gospel. And as we, pre and as we present the gospel to people, as we tell people the gospel, what do we do? We feed them. We meet their needs. We show them the love of Jesus just the way that Jesus did. We do what he did. We say what he said because we're followers of him. Blessed are those who thirst 
or hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That word satisfied, it means to eat one's fill, to be filled to satisfaction. Can I ask you, are you experiencing satisfaction in your life? Or are you needing the next big thing? You need that next thing. In Mark chapter eight, starting in verse one, this is where Jesus, there's about 4,000 people in front of him. He's already fed 20,000 plus people. 4,000 people have shown up. In verse two, it says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. Let me encourage you for just a second. Jesus knows your need. He also knows what will happen if he doesn't come through. He knows when you're hungry. He knows. He knows our needs. He also knows this. If I don't meet their needs, they will go home and possibly faint. He knows the bad that can come from it. So often when we're looking at God saying, God, why aren't you coming through? God, if you don't do this, then this is what's going to happen. Let me remind you, God is saying, I know exactly what you need. More than you do. At no point has he neglected that and forgotten that. He goes on. Verse, uh, middle of verse three, and some of them have come from far away. In verse four, and his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people without bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. You ever wonder what Jesus said? And they're going, how many loaves do you have? Thinking that might re- help them remember. We did this, remember we did this before? Remember this happened before? Remember there's 20,000 plus people. How many loaves? A little kid comes up, five loaves, two fish. Remember, five loaves, it's more like five Twinkies because it's a little boy's lunch. Five Twinkies and two sardines. This is what we had. Remember last time? Hey, guys, think about it. How many loaves do we have? How many loaves? Seven. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so let me continue. Verse six. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. This thought just popped in my head. Notice that Jesus isn't the one who ran around and passed out the stuff. He gave it to his disciples to go do. The same thing is today. The same thing is today. He's given up his word. He, we know his gospel. He's given it to us to go out and to pass to other people. Dang, that'll preach. And they sit before the crowd, verse seven. And they, just, and, they had a, and they had a few small fish. Sounds really similar. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. That word satisfied is the exact same Greek word as in Matthew chapter five, verse six, and they shall be satisfied. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. Notice the question was this in verse four, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? They started with how instead of starting with who. They started with how, how can this happen? How, how's it gonna happen? It's too big, there's too many people, we don't have enough. How can one do this? But friends, when we recognize who Jesus really is, we don't have to ask about how can this happen because we know the one who can make it happen. We also realize that he's the one who's called us, to go, called us out to go and to pass out what it is that he wants us to pass out. They started with how. Friends, we always start with who. So a couple questions as we close. What are you desperate for? What are you desperate for? And maybe, maybe some of you would sit there and go, nothing. Like, I don't really feel desperate. Life's pretty good. Is anybody, and there's, no, there's nothing wrong if you answer this question. Anybody feel like you're in a pretty good season of life? It's a good season. This is a good time. Enjoy it. For those that sit there and go, nope, 
And that's not the season I have. I'm sorry. And those of us who maybe were on that mountaintop or getting that little season of experience, maybe a little bit of rest, our job is to come alongside you and to help you. And we do that for each other constantly. That's how we're supposed to be living. But what are you desperate for? In Psalm 42, verses one and two, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, I, I love this passage, and I, maybe some of you guys have heard this before, but about two, how long ago was it? About 23 years ago, I was spoke at a camp. And I think I've mentioned this one before, Mount Gilead. It's the first camp I ever had to go to where I had to fly, because then I knew I was a world traveler. Like, Chris, I know you travel all over the world, but Oakland? I flew to Oakland. It's an hour. By the time you get to the top, they give you a drink. They're already coming down. I'm like, look, I'm so important. The Lord is using me in massive ways. I remember I preached the first time, and it went well. And I, the only reason I knew it well is because kids laughed. That's how, I, that's how I gauged it. Did they laugh? Did they think it was funny? Oh, the Lord worked. It was weird. I was such an idiot. Okay, but so about a month later after I'm done, they call me back to ask me back for 11 months out. I'm like, I'm in demand. I've made it. I'm on the speaker circuit. I'm me in Oakland. So I go back up there, and it was uh, the first message I preached, and Kelly got to go with me this one. It was the worst message in the history of the church. The worst. Now, she would disagree with me, but it was the worst. I even got back to the room. I said, hey, babe, what'd you think about that? She goes, I've heard better. I'm like, wow, you don't have to be honest. I mean, stroke my ego a little bit. Come on. And no joke, right then, this thought popped in my head, let's go for a walk. It wasn't her, she didn't say it. I knew God was calling me out. And it wasn't like, let's go for a walk so I can encourage you. It was kind of like, let's go. I need to take you behind the shed. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, was that, it's like, anybody remember having to get a switch? I didn't, my parents didn't do it, but grandma did. She would get a switch and barely have to, it's like you swing, it's like, oh my gosh, my, my butt's ripping open because it doesn't even take much. But it's like, get a switch, we're gonna go for a chat. So I go for a walk. So the kids are up in chapel. They're doing all their game stuff. I'm sitting in the middle of this field by myself in the dark. Nothing. No words, no encouragement, nothing. It's like, I'm here. What do you want? It's almost like I'm, hey, man, you want some of this? Come on. Let me have it. Now, all of a sudden, this car starts driving past me on the dirt road for some reason instead of on the gravel road right next to me. So I gave that awkward wave because I'm in the dark by myself. Who does that? As they drive past me, I turn around and behind me, so from here to the, the board, there's three deer grazing in the grass. I didn't see them before. And the verse came to my mind. As a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. And here's the question. Brian, does your soul long for me or are you just the camp speaker? Isn't it amazing that one question from the Lord can make you stop? I had nothing to say. Except I had to confess, I'm just the camp speaker. My heart wasn't desperate for him. And I confessed it to him there. And I'm so thankful that 23 years later, I can sit there and go, oh, oh, there's been a lot of ups and downs, but my heart thirsts for the Lord. And friends, he wants to do that in all of us, that we would thirst for the Lord rather than, I prayed a prayer, I'm fine, I don't have to worry about it, I can live however I want. Jesus, I'll see you in heaven. Friends, honestly, I gotta be honest, if that's your attitude, are you sure that it's Jesus you surrendered to or are you just afraid of hell? 
we're invited to walk in hunger and thirst for him. Next question, do you hunger and thirst for the things of God? As the worship team comes back up, in 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. When you see the, world, you see the word world there, it's not saying, hey, look at the planet, hate the planet. No, we're supposed to care for the planet. It's the ways of the world. The ways, the, the ideas, the the worldviews, the perspectives. This is, this is what we consider to be moral and it goes against the scriptures. He's like, anyone who says, I love this stuff, it's, it's not of the Father and neither are you. Like anyone who has love of the world, and he explains it, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Do you realize that every single thing is pretty much summed up in those three things? You see something, you want it, Right? You feel something, I want it, and we'll justify it. Instead of us asking the Lord, God, what do you want? I want you more than I want that. I want you more than I want that. As the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The last question, and I'll finish off with Isaiah, back at Isaiah 55, starting in verse one. The last question is this. Have the ways of this world left you empty? You bought into it. You have the newest thing, you're good. Get that perfect house, you're solid. This is how I think, this is how I feel, this is what the world says is okay, therefore, because this is how I think and feel and the world says it's okay, it must be okay. I've asked the Lord to take it away and he hasn't, therefore it must be blessed. It's amazing how we'll justify those things. Even though God expressly says in his word, do not, thou shalt not. All the while forgetting that the reason he gives us his commandments is what? For our good. He loves us. So if we could stand for this last passage, we'll go into last, one last song and we'll be out. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. In verse three, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Do you see the invitation at the end? Why do you do this? Why do you do this? And then the invitation, come to me. That's what God is saying. Come to me and this is what I'll give you. I will give you these things, but repent. and Come to me. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Holy Spirit, would you stir in us our affections for Jesus? And would you build in us a hunger and thirst for righteousness? And as we come to you, God, would you satisfy us? I thank you. I need to say it. I, God, I thank you that you will because you promise us that you will. God, help us to hunger and thirst for you above all things. Help us to not waste our time or our resources on those things that are fading away. But only on you, Jesus, in you is truth. In you is life. 
The world is fading away, God, but you aren't. And then God, prepare us for what you want us to do. May we live in a way that's honoring to you, impacting society and culture for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more than